0: rocking Jer- Jer- session sessions, with Elisa, with Elisa, Elisa, Elisa Di Battista, Maria, Maria Teresa, Teresa Barber.
1: Hello everyone. And welcome to another RCS Rocking Chair Sessions, Volume 150, with special guest curator Amanda Sanfilippo-Long. Thank you so much for sitting with us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Our special um, 150th event, Maria Tress and I did not know if we would make it, so we're very gracious and and grateful that (laughs) (laughs) you took the time out of your busy schedule to sit with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Maria, um, you want to jump in? Yeah, we ha- we have so much to cover, so much ground to cover with Amanda because you've been like uh, incredibly busy for the
2: young age <laughs> that
0: you still are. You've been already <laughs> like working so hard in so many different areas. And um, let's start with the Locust Roundtables because we were just talking about it. And uh, I, I kind of was there in person taking part when I just got... Uh, to Miami but mm-hmm. and and I really appreciated them a lot they were also a little scary for me because like <laughs> it's just like the way people interact in Miami sometimes gets really like you know raw and uh but I, I have such fond memories of them now and uh, tell us a little about, yeah. bit about how you came up with the idea and how how that experience was for you
2: yeah thank you so much so um you know around that time, I guess that was around 2012, something like that. And that was when you were new in Miami. Well, it was also when I was new in Miami. Um, so, um, I had actually just finished uh, a master's, um, in contemporary art history, uh, in London with the Sotheby's Institute of art. And I was coming off of this like rich, heady, uh, intellectual you know bubbling cauldron of of just ideas and people talking and it feeling really vital and important and and it was I mean it is and it was and it it kind of came off this place of really wanting to talk about these issues in contemporary art and how they related to you know the work of artists and curators and and Locales and places, what what it was meaning to different places, too, and the formation of our communities, all these things. So um, I came off of this kind of like heady mix of like people standing on the corner outside a bar after class and then like everyone talking and like just like not getting enough of it and it being infectious and like everything, you know. So that spirit, I just, you know, I I came back, I came to Miami. Um, I had folks, I had my parents that lived in South Florida. They actually moved there when I lived um, in other places. So I grew up in New Jersey, but, um, and Long Island. But, um, you know, by the time I got to South Florida, I was kind of testing it out, testing the waters. And it was during sort of this very short residency that I had at um legal art uh formerly known as Cannonball, formerly known as um now art center south florida now formerly known as what is it now what's the entity Light. <laughs> <laughs> no wait like, but actually legal i think legal
0: aid right legal li- legal link
2: Legal art
0: legal, legal art, art is now
2: part of Locus projects, right? It's all come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like one of those Russian golf stories about like what happens in a small art community when the entities you know, you know, go through different things and try to find their footing and there's failures and there's gains and anyway. So during this time I was like, Wow, I need to I really want to be able to actually um you know, I was working part time at Locust Projects and I was like, I need to just I need somewhere to live. So I, was, <laughs> I applied for this residency for curators at, at what was, of course, at that time, uh, legal art. And it was wonderful. I mean, that that sort of uh, upstairs studio apartment and studio set up above the corner bar, um, downtown Miami. Uh, was it 11th Street? Yes. And I mean, that is a really important place that that little place has hosted tremendous amount of creative important energy so i could go on and on about this but basically that was a very sort of fruitful place because i kind of took that vibe you know from those london bars after class where we were like discussing these issues and brought it to Legal art, And they asked me, do you have any programs you'd like to do? And I was, I was already, I was always very interested in moderating and getting discussions going and kind of organizing them and curating them, categorizing them and distilling them and figuring out what it is we're actually talking about and kind of like calling people out, but also highlighting people and getting them to like express themselves in ways that were... I don't want to say academic, but ways that were like empirical, right? Like not so much about opinions and I like this and I like that. And this is my taste, but what are we talking about? What are the issues, you know, getting down to talk about real things when it came to art. And um, so they're like, yeah, start something. So I was like, I want to do this thing called the round tables. And I started doing it at upstairs in the second floor, During my residency at Legal Art and, of course, working at Locust Projects during this time. And I have to credit so much um, the visionary work of Shauna Bugazad Sheldon, who's the director um, of Locust Projects for over eight years, who I was had the pleasure and honor of working with. So she had not only hired me and enabled me to actually work and live in Miami um, because I just finished my dissertation. And she had actually offered me a job while I was finishing my dissertation in New York. I was studying with um, doing case studies with Creative Time. And, um, and I had done a case study with Locust and moved up to back up to New York. And then she said, Hey, would you like a job to work with us for Basel? And I was like, sure. So I rode my drove my little car back down and started working with her, you know, a week after handing in my dissertation, which was uh, great. I also studied at Art Angel in London, which is an amazing organization uh-huh. as well. Um, so uh, I don't want to get too caught up in this, but the roundtables was very formative. Um, Shauna, she kind of heard about what I was doing at... Um, at, during the residency at Legal Art and she said, why don't you bring this to Locust? You know, I was doing development and, and other kind of pro, some programmatic things, but lar- on the large and hall development at Locust, which I find fascinating, wonderful work. Um, anyway, um, and she said, Dude, I would love you to do public programming, bring the roundtables here. And that just opened the door and create a platform. And that was when it really kind of took off because we were doing these kind of like, there were about three times a year And they were like a program of four or five weeks in a row. Like every Tuesday. It was just like Tuesday, 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 Tuesday. And I would get artists and curators and different people to come up with a topic that they're interested in discussing. And kind of the emphasis wasn't so much like, oh, come and let's do a slideshow and it's a lecture. It was like, no, there's a big table. There's no visuals. We're all going to sit around it. Someone's going to have a topic. I, myself, um would moderate. So basically people would throw things out there and I would be like, I would help twist the conversation and move it and shape it and kind of align it. And um, I mean, it was just awesome. And the material that was produced during that time, I have to tell you, I'm so proud of that work. I mean, and it was just exhilarating. I remember it was just freaking exhilarating. and I felt like there was something coalescing, during those, because it was like going to church, people would be like, I have to go to Locust, like I'm going and like, you know, it would start with small groups of like 10 or 20. And it ballooned to like 80 or 90 people. And you had the people around the table. And then you have these like layers and layers of people, you know, sitting at the, the fringes, and they would still have the opportunity to talk. But it just became it felt really important, you know, so. So um, I don't know, I think I think the roundtables opened up a lot of things for me in terms of just wanting to hear people and direct conversations into important, vital, interesting threads, you know, as it relates to contemporary art and what we're doing. But also,
1: as you mentioned, since it was one of the first things you did coming back from being away from you know, Miami or starting to discover it, you started to get, your, yeah. get a foothold, start to realize what's going on, the
2: different yeah. spaces that
1: you're interacting with. So I, I imagine it was a lot of um, learning that happened for you as well in oh. terms of like...
2: Yeah. And I mean, Locust Projects, what a phenomenal context to be able to do that in. I mean, just the center in so many ways of the art community, you know, not a big museum, not a big, not a big flashy organization, but humble and very tight, very real um, and very creative origins um, with a, a fantastic network of both artists and people that really advocated and championed it I mean it was it was just like walking into the best <laughs> you know it was like opening a door and getting in and then like being on this ride that was like you know really yeah it was it was a great a great way to get a footing in my in town how uh, long were you
1: at locust projects before you actually commenced you know being a part of the fringe project
2: oh yeah so fringe um so fringe I have to credit so much the work of Claire Brukel Randy Reddick, and Sonia Boggensberger. So three amazing women that, um, Sonia working at the Miami downtown development authority, Claire Brukel, an amazing curator origins with locust and starting uh, and been part of so many important organizations. Um, and, um, And then, of course, Brandy Reddick, who is the curator for Art and Public Places for Miami-Dade County Department of Cultural Affairs for a decade and did amazing work there. So the kind of things that started to happen uh, when I was actually writing my dissertation. So I was writing about temporary public art and public art that was, I was calling them like super projects and these basically public experiment, public, I was calling them also public experimentals, which were like these weird organizations that were producing and commissioning. Uh, public art and and art projects in general that were that were just so based on the artists privileging the artists ideas There were commissions but they weren't just like please do x here and blah you know it wasn't about plop art it was about this it was about activating this other form of you know practice about artists who integrate their or investigate use the fabric of a context or a place to create an artwork that's living that's you know, the, the medium involves time, base, and place, very much like a happening, but you know, almost to a, a further degree. And anyway, all these things kind of coming together. When I was doing my my case study at Locust, someone was like, You got to talk to Claire Brukel. And I was like, oh, Okay, who's Claire? And then I had this phone call with Claire. I'll never forget it. I was like, In my parents' house, <laughs> in their living room, just being like, We're going to get a job. And, uh, but I was like, Oh, let me talk to this, you know, great. This woman's open to talking to a grad student who she's never met. And I had this wonderful conversation with her. And she was just like, yeah, we're commissioning temporary site specific, you know, art all the time. And this is what I'm doing. I'm doing this project right now called (laughs) (laughs) G-Spot. Do you remember this? No, I don't. I
0: don't. I don't think I remember that one.
2: Oh, so G-Spot was like this. Um, a Series of temporary public art commissions that basically Claire curated a number of artists that just said, "I want you to just use the city as your platform and do whatever you want." And here's a here's you know something very modest like fifteen hundred dollars or something like that to make to actualize your project. And there were projects by Tom Sikluna that were so good. There were projects by uh, the TM sisters. There were there were just these um, uh, Carrie Phillips. There were just these beautiful commissions that Claire you know, Claire just makes things possible. She's just like, yeah, sure, let's just do it, you know? And then she she's such a deep respect for artists and what they want to do and just enabling and, you know, supporting them. So she she just told me about what she was doing. It was sponsored by Grolsch, the beer, which used to be all over Miami. It really isn't anymore, but um, it used to be par- filling the, the fridges and coolers of like all the art organizations. Um, but so yeah, Claire was just like, I'm doing this. And and then I was like, she's like, would you like to do a tour or something like that? Because I basically interviewed her and her, I've quoted her in my dissertation. And um, she was like, do you want to be part of G-Spot? Like, do you want to come around? I was like, yes, you know, I'd love to, I'm dying to. So she gave me the opportunity to like participate in some informal tours. I made a tour, I think I pitched it at her. And she was like, great, yeah. Or it was a bicycle tour, it was great. Anyway, so we, that was like a real first taste of like, you know, what, what people are doing with creative time and in New York and art angel in London, we can do it here. Of course we can do it here. It's great for here. So, and it's not, it wasn't really, I mean, I felt like G-Spot was like, you know, obviously it was the first thing I was involved in and knew about. So I was like, this is great. It's just the beginning, even though things, sure, important, temporary size specific projects have happened here, of course. Um, so, um, the long and the short of it, Claire really lit that fire. And then Um, I continued to work for Locust and continued to express interest in what she was doing with the temporary and then she and Brandy and Sonia in the meantime had kind of brought this brain chest together about how to how to fund which is such a key thing because I both as a curator and as you know an arts professional and you know creative person myself really fundraising is always been a huge part of my practice as a curator. I know that sounds weird, but unless you're bringing the dollars to the table, you've just got, you're, you're just spinning your wheels. So like I was super, and even in grad school, I was interested in developing all these different mechanisms for fundraising and in different ways that could be done. And you know, you kind of, there's nothing new under the sun, but sometimes there is (laughs) depending on how to work these things and how to make them work the best. And Um, you know, I got really obsessed with how, how can we get this funding in place? And my work at Locust was really driven by that, you know, it's so much easier to fundraise and learn how to fundraise if you're interested in what you're doing and you believe it and you support it and you're like, this is enabling me to do this and this is a me, you know. So, um, plus you, it's just great. It's so much fun. I encourage people to, to not be intimidated to fundraise. It's it's really wonderful. It builds community like nothing else. It's amazing. So um,
0: Elisa and I, were like really bad. So we are totally in awe of you.
2: <laughs> I have to tell you, I mean, you, it, having important mentors, is really, is really key. I mean, Shauna Sheldon was an incredible mentor, um, for, for learning how to read and a board, you know, boards and trust. I mean, people there, there's, there's literature, there's books, there's, there's a whole industry, but I mean, it's the passion. That's the most important thing and driving towards something. And, and anyway, so this all came about where Brandy, Claire and Sonia kind of put their heads together and they were like, how can we fund you know, temporary public art. And I think the initial seed money came from the Miami downtown development authority. Um, and with Sonia. So Sonia was able to earmark, uh, I think it was like 10 grand to start a project, start this initiative. And I think she brought in, she was already friendly with the new of Claire and Brandy and brought them in more as consultants as she was funding it through the DDA. And, um, she Claire curated it the first year, and then I think the second year she said, "Amanda, I know you're interested in public art. Would you like to just curate it?" I think she was just again. This is a Claire a Claire thing where she starts things and then she goes, "Ha, you know, someone else can do it now." <laughs> and she's you know I deep deep respect for her what she does there's nothing sleight of hand about that you know but she she gets things moving and then sometimes she And in order to continue to grow she you know moves on so she was very gracious said Amanda would you like to curate this second season I believe she curated and put in place the 2011 season and then I think I came on for 2012 or 2013 I'll have to fact check that but she curated some amazing projects by Misa El Soto with this huge gigantic picnic blanket and Jillian Mayer with these wind chimes that were hanging off the Adrian Arsene Center. I mean, imagine getting permission to do these kinds of things. Also, that's a whole other part of this: is the enabling and the connections and the site and the place and how it all works and how the project evolves into finding itself in the public realm. You know, when it finds its place,
0: because there's so, legal work to do, like there are permits to get, like there is like all these like it, as soon as you move into a public place, yeah. things well, get you know
2: Yeah, so much. So you're so right, but it's it's so different because it's so it's so variable. And and one thing that is really it's not so much about permits, but it's about permission in terms of it might be private land and private structure and you just have to figure out who the person is that owns it. And really get them on board. I mean, so that's a whole other thing, and and it might just be like, oh yeah, sure, you could do this on my at my house and my property or in my field or whatever, you know. Um, so it's just about how, how to get access, how to figure out the t- tools that you need to do that, and just and and it it still comes from this like deep support and belief in what you're doing t- to a degree that you're like infectious, you know. You're just like, I, this is this has to and and making it easy for people. Um, one of my um my very good friends that I went to graduate school with it has always said yeah you got to be sexy and you got to be nice <laughs> you <know? laughs> that's how you do that. you know not that that's everything but that's really helps help things along <laughs> it helps
0: it helps a lot with like getting permissions and also with fundraising i have to say that helps yeah, too mean, it's, being nice and the
2: sexy thing whatever but you got to be nice you know and yeah. and niceness begets niceness and plus that's it's not malicious or calculating it's just the way that, you know, do you personally want to work with someone that's, it's a nightmare to work with or really nice and helps you along and helps it happen. I mean, like, of course. So, mm-hmm. um, so anyway, um, that was Rebecca Shiles, by the way, who said that my friend <laughs> <laughs> or now Rebecca Shiles Lozelle, she got married. But, um, so, um, I am a little bit lost about where I am, but so the three women put this Ten together, they yeah. did it, Claire reached out to me the second year and said, Hey, do you want to take this on? I was like, oh, of course I do. Yes, yes, yes. And so it was definitely a side hustle from what I was doing at Locust. I became now full-time at Locust, which was great, um, kind of building that position. Locust was a, you know, uh, historically very, very, um, you know, small scale organization. It was a staff of two. When I came into the picture, I was the third. and Sheldon, Monica de Miguel, um, wonderful person, <laughs> um, And I so I was the third. And then, you know, I'm so proud to say over sort of the tenure that we we actually grew to um, I think it was seven, a staff of seven or or even eight. It was just really great. But um, but the um, the point I'm trying to make is so that that became something where um, fringe kind of. you know, Claire said, I want you to do it. Go ahead. And then, and that was great. So then I had the 10 grand and I said, Oh my God, great. How am I going to start doing this? And I just started with, you know, using my own networks, reaching out, trying an open call, trying to understand how to walk around the city with people, with artists and get them to engage in it, understand it, become interested in working in a site specific, you know, site determined way. And that whole practice of, you know, the framework of the art becoming part of the place and you know, the reason for it being, um, was integrated into that and all the fun we had and all the amazing, um, you know, experiences, getting permission and the project changing and growing and becoming that. And then the, and then like, like a fairy godmother the next year with fringe, cause I said, I'd love to keep doing it. Of course it was so great. Um, Brandy Reddick through the Miami Dade department of cultural affairs somehow says, Amanda, um, we have an additional $25,000 for you to work with.
1: Oh, my goodness. That is phenomenal.
2: I mean, I cannot... It wasn't me, you know? It was just the fact that the DDA was on board. Now the Department of Cultural Affairs was on board. And it was this powerhouse where now... The next year, I think it was the next year, I was able to, I was like, I reached out to both parties, and I said, hey, we had a great season last year, and now we're talking about building a website, building a, building capacity, figuring out how to, you know, create Continue all out. of these people And I have to credit and thank, you know, my work and my mentorship at Locust, because a lot of the ideas, you know, the, the organization being artist-focused, the organization, you know, privileging the artist ideas, the tone of the press releases, the, the all of these different things that, you know, valuing, honoring the artist's work, getting great documentation, all these things were very much aligned with Locust and the work of, you know, my mentorship, of course, um, under working under Shauna Sheldon. So, um, you know, as kind of Fringe Grew Locust was growing, it was a very exciting, fun time those couple of years The I me mean, was crazy. I worked so hard. But um, and it's, you know, people talk about this whole side hustle thing and how like, you know, doing something on the side that you're really passionate about, if you do have that bandwidth, it's great because it can help you get somewhere else that you want it to go anyway and it challenges you and it lights that fire. And, you know, if you have the bandwidth to do nights and weekends and just, you know, um, try to dedicate some time to it, yeah, it gets a little crazy. But if you're if you're OK with doing that for a while in your life, you um, it does. I think it, it. I think for me, it was really important. And and right now, I'm trying to. Um, I'm always trying to cultivate my next side hustle. So, <laughs> or just see where your passion brings you, because you know that's what the passion is. And then and then you continue or it grows. You know, it like snowballs and it adds to itself. But um, but so, yeah. And then that next year. So we had the support from Miami Dade and from and from um the DDA the organization itself was developing an identity outside of just the artist commissions and then i was like i could apply for other grants i could apply for the knight foundation i could apply for um you know all these other things that are flying around that you know feeling so lucky that there's this access to the kinds of grants that we have had you know to organizations and fledgling and and to artists that are you know no 501c3 no <laughs> incorporation just can you what do you want to do so that, that kind of freedom, you know, granted the first night grant, additional grants from the LEs, additional grants from um, another night grant. Now Fringe is doing its third night grant, which is, of course, the biggest ever, which is really transforming the organization, you know, transforming the organization. The organization I keep, you know, that I refer to as Fringe um, now has a new executive director. So after almost a decade, I'm stepping into the role of senior advisor um, and Deborah Lehman DiCapua. Um, is coming into the fold as um, executive director. And for many years, I also have to thank um, the support and the curatorial work and the other all kinds of different work from Justin Wong. Justin has been a big, big part of Fringe um, for many, many years. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different really great creative forces that came together. We actually were able to not only engage with artists from here, but artists like locally, we all we all did a project with Hugh Locke, which I is like a dream. I saw Yes, <laughs> incredible. And what a, what a wonderful person and artist he is, and a generous in spirit, and just wanting to try things and experiment, and being open with that, you know. And and as the you know things continue to grow and and just um, you know growing pains, but you know we're still not at the five C three yet. But that's the the idea is to to. Um, to become that within the next 18 months. You know, we were, you know, just, just working on it, different, one thing at a time, you know, one step at a time. But, you know, some amazing groundbreaking projects from Domingo Castillo, um, activating spaces, what is now known as the Mana 777 Mall downtown. I mean, that was when it was truly the, the actual mall, Fringe was the first art organization to stomp in there and just ask to do stuff. And Moshe Aman, I have to tell you, is a very generous, um, thoughtful person. I was texting. He gave me his cell phone. We were texting, and I was asking him if I could use different things, and he was so kind and generous. And almost everyone who we approached is. Some people are like, get out of here. What are you talking about? But, you know, it was fine. I mean – and and different curators have come in i curated things justin curated things deborah's curated things um deborah did a great job curating the shabalala self artwork that's still up at lee's sushi that you can visit
0: amazing yeah and just looking for the artwork like wandering through downtown and trying to look (laughs) you know find it is like an experience too it's an
2: experience and it becomes part of the fabric of the city and the stories of the city and they're meaningful you know artworks with their own integrity and Justin uh, brought in Nate page who is the artist who's done the 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 limousine that we buried halfway into a, a vacant lot um, and you know all these things were very thoughtful you know the size of the limousine was actually proportional to the size of the ceiling heights of the luxury condos that were just beside it and um, you know it was about decadence and uh, perception of Miami all these you know there were so many layers and interesting things that happen when an public artwork is made for its place. Um, and, and that really, yeah, really, really fed the engine, still feeds the engine really hot. I mean, Fringe is just like, oh my God. And at the moment we are working through, um, this, as I mentioned, this night grant. So our big sort of step this past year has been to come into official partnership with, uh, the Perez Art Museum, Miami's Maria Elena Ortiz, the curator, um, one of the curators there, who's fantastic, um, and her focus and specialization expertise in artists of the Caribbean, mm. um, either both of Caribbean descent, Caribbean diaspora, not living there and also living there themselves. And so we're, we're doing a, a, like a two year engagement, um, kind of like a it's been my dream for a long time to do sort of like a mini biennial, like a Venice biennial style you know, where there's an opening, there's a season, the artworks are up and then there's a closing sort of like a prospect one or something like that. You know, we're getting closer or lovely. Prospect yeah. New Orleans. We're getting close, you know, Fringe is like with this grant, which is very modest for what we're trying to do. I think Fringe is going to put some boots on the ground to say like, this is what we're doing. It's a biennial style exhibition. It's going to last for six months or four months and it's going to be, it's going to have an opening and a closing date and it's going to function like an international biennial. And so, you know, these different pieces are all like enabling one another. And, um, you know, I won't, I won't tell you it's all been fun. Like I definitely have cried tears <laughs> of Fringe out of sheer frustration, you know, many times, and it's not easy to start anything, you know, when you have, you have fun, you have built, you have, you know, not only are you confused about how to handle your dollars, but how to, you know, do your accounting and how to bring in professionals and how to be wise about your expenditures and we've definitely made a lot of mistakes. You know, you learn through them. We, I imagine we, yeah. we can
0: share our yeah. We can sh- we can share that feeling. Like uh, Elisa and I, we decided very early on to become a nonprofit. Like we oh. did all of that ourselves, basically, and yeah. did the IRS and everything. But there is always like plus and, and you know, yeah. like for example, a WaveMaker grant you can't apply when you're a nonprofit. So for the smaller, for the smaller grants, it's almost better not to be a nonprofit, right? And then like uh, I think. Probably where you are with your project, it's the perfect time to kind of make that transition and have the board and have it like more um, yeah. settled as a as a company then or like as a you know. Yeah, but.
2: yeah. With the you know, with the, having a board is so key and the kind of steering and support and struct you know structure also mm-hmm. something that a board really does is create structure and. Because um, you're having reports, you're having, you know, quarterly or monthly meetings, you have to get everything together, you have, you know, people who are, you know, there's an agenda, you know, it's yeah. just like, hey, I did this, I did that, oh my god, let me get this together, you know, it's like, uh, not that, you know, that, that's what it takes to start it, but, but the structure for small organizations is really important, and, you know, Leapfrogging over talking about structure as it as it go to to my role as curator for Miami Dade uh, County's public art program with Art in Public Places is all about you know there's a lot of creativity but that structure that we have is is unbelievable it's so marvelous <laughs> and it works like a charm it is I mean it's hard hard work and a lot of it but if you do not have that discipline that structure and those systems you know, you're, you're gonna, you're really gonna experience um, a lot more. Anyway, I don't mean to be and like it, the hard Yeah, terms. but it's uh, also
0: not so. gonna last if you don't have the structure, you know, if you don't put the work in to kind of make it like sustainable and make it, you know, lasting yeah. also. After you're gone, basically, you know, when you yeah. have this structure with the board and when you're, you know, when you're building that from the ground up. And I mean, Art in Public Places, 1973 when it started? That's 1973. Right. And I mean, in Miami, so what around. was there in 1973 from the institutions that we have now? There was no huge PAM building, you know, there was no... Uh, um, mocha i don't know when mocha started i don't think he was there yet or ica or all these organizations yeah. you know so yeah. i mean that it's that, that was that that was i don't know who started this program you probably know but that they were able to implement it the way that uh that they the did structure. back then and you were able to continue that you know that legacy it's really a legacy because it's it is it's
2: incredible it is. what what wonderful art we have like art in public places it's incredible well And not only to the founders, um, Ruth Schack and other really important visionaries at at the county, but Michael Springs leadership um, and not only, um, you know, inclusion of the program, but now now for the over the past, I'd say about 15 years, the Department of Cultural Affairs uh, of Miami-Dade County um, has taken over the sort of overall Review of you know, taking the art in public places program, which was kind of like an outlier, came under the umbrella of the Department of Cultural Affairs. And that was a huge positive step for the program to help actually help help it stay uh, more in this sort of um, structural mode and and keep um, keep keep some things um, yeah, just offer more support and more guidance and all these good things. So Michael Springs visionary, visionary visionary, um, guidance of the program. Um, Patricia Romeo, um, the, our chief of public art, is uh, for, I think believe she's approaching her 15 year mark at the county in the role of art in public places, just phenomenal. Um, I've never met a woman like her. It is, it is uh, this amazing mixture of heart, soul, brains, and just toughness, grit that. And, and love of art and these magic, you know, I, I don't want to say magic. There's nothing that has, it has nothing to do with magic. It has to do with like these real things <laughs> and the team there. Um, currently we have some amazing projects, you know, we work with architects. So it's like you're transferring over, you know, the artist's mode from the artist world into the, into the building world. Some of them are already speaking that language. Some of them are not. So we're, we're working that through, but so many of the art, the architects that are in our team um, are, are already speaking artists because they are creative. They are brilliant and they are already thinking in that mode. So, like, just the professionals, the joy of the professionals that we get to work with, they're so smart and they're so creative and innovative in how they approach very serious, very rigid things <laughs> like the built environment, like permanent public art. Woo, baby, that is a whole, you know, coming from Fringe, wow, the things I have learned. Um, I, I don't want to underplay Fringe because we got into. We got. Whenever you're pouring concrete, cement, whenever you're doing real permits, you are dealing with a whole other thing, you know, that is really, it gets really major really fast. But the kinds of integration into the built environment, the, the public realm, architecturally scaled work that the department and art and public places of the county have done, it, you're right. Like you said, Meritra, it, it is mind boggling. It is like, wh- how have these people done this? Like the amount of co- cooperation and ensuring, securing these results is just, it is marvelous. It is marvelous.
1: Yeah. You mentioned um, the understanding of, of both structure and also creativity. For your undergrad, you did art history, which yeah. I think is like the more creative, kind of like fun and passionate part. But you also did English, which is a little bit more structured. Can you talk to us about your undergraduate experience and why you decided to pursue to begin with art history and oh, sure. English? Well, that- what a
2: wonderful uh, question. Thanks so much for bringing it back. Um, you know, I came into the University of Vermont. So I uh, grew up in Oakland, New Jersey, wonderful town near New York City. And um, I love New York City and I still do so much. And I was, I almost, I, I had the choice to go to, to NYU or to UVM in Burlington, Vermont. And I was like, one part of my brain was like, Amanda, go to NYU, you idiot. And then the other one was like, no, Burlington is so great. (laughs) It's so magical. So I decided to go there. And I, one of the real big reasons I went there was because um, they had invited me based on my, I guess, my studies, my leanings in high school, and all these other kind of creative things I was part of, um, to be part of this, this program called the Integrated Humanities Program, IHP at the university of vermont i bet it, i hope it's still going it, it was such a transformative program it was so cool because basically i was invited to be part of this kind of group of students we would live together in these dorms i mean i was so privileged to be able to go to college and go out of state and believe me i mean i was supported by my parents i was also i am still paying my loans okay. <laughs> i am never, i will probably i don't know when they're going to be over <laughs> You know, um, they'll probably be over in about ten years, and that will make me um, you know, forty-five. So, um, so anyway, I I went to UVM under this integrated humanities program, which was a mixture of English, humanities, history, art history, all these kinds of like. You could tell I was not a math kid, but all these things were just coming together, and it was about integrating the these disciplines. And I was like, this program is amazing. And it kind of like really pushed me into that place. And and then living and working, living with the students and studying with the same group of students in these kind of like suite style um, dorms that were different different than, than typical dorms was just a really, it was really good. I mean, it was like sticky. We all knew, we all just really got what we were doing and we were intellectually challenged by each other. And I mean, we're in college, so we're you know, whatever, experiencing all these things, but it just felt, it felt like this sense of immersion that just was like very special. And I'm very, very grateful for that. And that, that kind of led me to understanding the threads between history and, you know, the kinds of ways that people are expressing themselves on the written, you know, on the page and how important, how documents and moments, you know, and literature connected with moments in history. And then of course, you know, how they, how they, how they talked about how, you know, how they reflected the time period and reflected the culture and all these things that were, you know, the humanities, the, well, what it is to be human um, and to the core. And then, so when I did take an art history course that was offered as part of the curriculum, I'd always been interested in art, loved art. I was very honored, you know, blessed to be part of this. Um, I, like, uh, sort of gifted program growing up in high school and, and middle school. And I th- I was like 13 or 14 years old. They brought us to MoMA, put us on a bus in brought us New York City and brought us MoMA. So my first trip to MoMA was when I was about 14 years old. I mean, that maybe sounds kind of old for, you know, for people living in New York I and mean, everyone's got all that. But like from a kid from the suburbs, I just, I remember walking and being like contemporary art, what the heck you know but like getting <laughs> exposed to that really young and just seeing it and I was like you know just and then the, pos, the the whole institutional thing how important art was these you know the architecture so grand all these things so anyway I'd always been like very interested in art always loved it loved it you know was like a, a high school kid loving Van Gogh and all you know had the anyway so um and was making art myself just you know but but in a way that was very thoughtful and you know um personal. Um but um but when I when I took this art history course, I mean I tell you what, it was like a pivotal moment in my life because I would like look around me and be like, oh, everyone is asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's asleep. And I was like riveted like taking notes all jacked up you know just like so excited to write down every every particle the information the images just obsessed you know and just so excited and and again connecting this whole thing with what it is that a culture is with this sort of manifestation of the culture which you know in literature you've got to slog through a whole book but in our history, you've got this image that, that you can deconstruct and, and deal with all these different aspects of it, um, whether it be an image or an object or uh, happening or whatever it is, performance. So, you know, all these things just clicked in the most a wonderful way. I was so lucky to have such a great college experience. I thank my mom and dad, you know, Mike and Nana Semple both so much for their support and their belief in me. I mean, I was really lucky. And, um, and you know, I had also been very lucky To have been able to afford going to Italy on a class trip right after graduating, like, you know, a week after graduating from high school, they put 20, 20, uh, you know, 18 year olds on a plane and brought us and then we had this wonderful history teacher, Mr. Knauss, who I actually have to thank a lot because he was really good. He was so good and he made people care about history and world history. And I think that was part of the whole thing. But so we went to Italy and then like, you know, seeing the architecture, seeing the art. um, And then like in my, that art history class in college, seeing it all on the screen and connecting and remembering how marvelous and transporting it was to experience them. And, you know, I just was a really lucky kid. What can I say? It was very I was I was privileged. I was lucky. I was I was happy. I was
1: <laughs> like, you know, I Do had you to, feel that pushed you towards pursuing that um, MA in contemporary history? Did you take a year off? When did you do the um, the stint at the BCA Center? In, yes.
2: In so, oh, thank you. I'm so glad you asked about that too. So another amazing, pivotal, transformative moment in my life um, was, so in this, uh, taking these art history courses, changing to art history major in college at UVM, and then while I was in college, I was like, I really want to go get an internship and get my feet dirty. I've always wanted to just get my feet dirty, get working, get doing stuff. Um, and so taking it on and making it real, you know, so I I went down to this um, contemporary art center. I remember just, you know, Burlington is a fairly folksy little college town, but, um, you know, crunchy granola, hippies, everything. But then this BCA center, on this beautiful pedestrian street called church street in Burlington, which is really special, um, had just amazing contemporary art, you know, like world-class contemporary art. Um, there are have been some wildly good curators that came through and that's why they were like really, um, Pascal Spengman was an early curator there who is, um, ran the gallery texture, and Spengman for many years is, is still an important figure in the contemporary art world. Um, And, um, Ruth Erickson, um, was the curator after that, um, in conjunction with Katie Atanasio Nelson and Ruth Erickson is currently one of the curators at the ICA Boston. She went on to have a very important career. Um, Katie is, has gone on to, um, become a professor in art history and, and, uh, and, um, really takes on art therapy and different things a different take, but just so incredible, both of them so passionate. And so I started interning with this dream duo these two women, Katie and and Ruth that were like so smart so cool (laughs) you know they really understood artists they supported artists they included everyone they included you know they included every intern they took seriously every they treated everyone with this deep respect and care and love of art and And kindness um, mm -hmm. and kindness and I will never forget the work in the way that they brought people into the fold. And, um, you know, anyway, that was just an internship, but I was also seeing, I was like, what's going on here? Because they were not just unpacking artwork and hanging on the wall. This art center, the BCA Center, which is formerly known as the Firehouse Gallery, um, is a beautiful renovated firehouse on Church Street, but a gorgeous modern renovation to bring everything into a very contemporary sort of um, aesthetic, especially in the gallery on the ground floor um and so they were not just hanging stuff up they were working with the artist talking to them developing this huge site specific temporary installation most times, um, that was a product of a commission. And that was really my first experience understanding the commissioning process. I got to experience it very, very deeply because, um, I actually, after a short stint at an organization called Cassini house, which is a Montreal and Burlington based, um, publishing house and gallery, which was also a wonderful experience, but I got to write there. I got to cut my teeth and actually trying to write a book with them at a young age, but didn't work out. But anyway, (laughs) It was fun to, it was fun to like, even think like, oh, I'm writing a book, but, um, and I did write it, but at the end of the day, it wasn't very good. So, um, so, so I did, I got this brief stint and then, um, Ruth was leaving for graduate school. Katie was becoming the curator and they said, we need an assistant curator. Amanda, will you, will you step into that role? And I was absolutely, I was so excited. And then I so for three years I was the assistant curator at that space, and then like I was saying, show after show, that this crazy roller coaster ride of the artist from the beginning of the process of talking about a show to the way that it came about to actually installing the whole thing. I mean, and we worked with incredible people. Corn Hewitt produced an unbelievable show with Mia Foyer. I will never forget her. I've worked with her again a couple of times. She's an incredible artist. We did. um, wonderful show. Katie, um, after a few years doing brilliant work, decided to take a, a seat into more of her academic work. And then Christopher Thompson was the curator that I worked under under for about a year and a half, two years, somewhere in the mix. And he was also a really just visionary guy, um, very smart and and really wanted to bring in a lot of great ideas. And, and so that was really fundamental. Working at the Firehouse Gallery BCA Art Center was like, you know what, it is so much about this, um, you know, this, this process where the artist is mm-hmm. producing new work, you know, production of new work. If there's like one thing that's guided my career, it's production of new work and what happens, everything that happens is part of that, working with an artist. Um, and so, I mean, it was just the most wonderful experience. Those couple those years I spent there, I felt like such, and we did great things there. They took us to mass Mocha. We went to um, see all the solo wit, you know, we just like, we were, it was an amazing word. It was a not-for-profit. So it was like introduction to that crazy not-for-profit life. (laughs) But, um, you know, it it was great. And and, um, it really fed it fed that kind of desire to continue doing that work and just take it to the next level. Um, And and that's when I decided, hey, I'm going to I'm going to apply to grad school and see where I can go. And I was like, I definitely want to live abroad if I can. So. Let's just try to go to... Do it now. <laughs> yeah, do it now before I get stuck here. Not stuck, but before I'm like, oh, Burlington, let me live in Vermont forever, peace out. But, you know, it would have been great. But um, no, I, I just was like getting... I just had that that itch and desire to, to do more. And um, But but the Firehouse Gallery means so many opportunities. That's also where I curated and organized my first um, public realm um, project, which was a wonderful project by an artist named Alice Hayner called Not In My Backyard, NIMBY. She was actually an artist based in Switzerland. That They came over to Vermont for a summer and they were making these. They actually have a wonderful practice and they wanted to do this public artwork all over the city. And it became this thing that we got involved with with sticking all this pink foam card foam all over like everything. And um, you know, just learning how to do it. But she was very thoughtful. And actually, she opened a lot of doors for me as well. She invited me um, to come to to after i organized that show she invited me to to lecture at um her universe the university she was taking a course at in nice. lucerne switzerland lucerne. and lucerne. she and it and it and she she said amanda you know i can't pay you um yeah i can't cover your travel but i can pay you to do a talk which oh, was like nice. almost the cost of like what i was gonna buy my ticket for so i just like sucked it up Might and bought as well and she was like, you can stay with me. So, you know, I got this uh, wonderful opportunity. And she said, well, would you like to come during the time of the fairs? And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. She's like, during our Basel, you know, Basel. And I was like, yeah, I think so, you know. <laughs> so that, was, so that not only that trip was really wonderful. My darling mother, um, so she met me there in Basel because she knew I was, she saw I was going to Switzerland. So she said, I'm coming too. So we, um, we we went to basel we went to art basel for the very first time you know experiencing what art basel was wow. and i have to tell you that was also just another piece of the puzzle being like this is this contemporary art world is is massive and it matters to people all over the world you know cuz you see the gallery representation on a very basic level all these people coming from all over the world you know this is like something that matters to people artists are important art you know all, all, sure the market is what it is I I have no problem with the market. There are bizarre things that happen in the market that happen at the uh, various steps along the game. But, you know, I don't know, people sometimes, they forget, like, that's how artists make money. Yeah. You know, artists... And it's about a balance, eventually. Maria gave me the signal,
1: so I wanted to ask you one last question before she asked you hers. Um, Discussing balance, um, how is it that you... Um, being obviously the artist manager at the Art and Public Places for Miami-Dade County, balance between work and also doing things for yourself and enriching yourself like the residency you did at Parsonola. Like, how do you find that balance Oh yeah,
2: Oh, yeah. Parsnola is so great. And Amy Mackey over at Pars is an incredible person. Um, it is important to take breaks. I mean, I married an artist, right? So, like, I don't have a break. <laughs> But no, Justin Long, um, you know, it's important to have that creative energy together. And But anyway, you know, we talk about things like art. We do art together in our downtime, even having residency time where you have that chance to – Take a break, reflect on what you want to do to direct your own career as opposed to what you're doing, you know, for everyone else, you know, as the curator of Miami Data in Public Places, my responsibilities are, are great. And I just I, I enjoy it so much. But it, it is, it, you, have, you know, sometimes you, you do have to put it down and say, okay, what am I going to do? What am I thinking about for my next chapter? Do I want to curate biennials? Do I want to, um, you know, guest curate for things like Freeze projects? Do I want to, you know, write a catalog? Do I want to do a? Uh, do we want to do a ten-year book for Fringe? You know, all these different things that are important and continue, need to continue marching on. So, um, but you know what? It's also good to just you know, we've taken up gardening.
0: <laughs> we go especially we now go in sa- quarantine. It's the perfect activity.
2: Yeah, you got to do other stuff, and then you know when you're doing other stuff, your head shakes loose an idea, and it's you know like Justin and I, we're very blessed. We we just bought our first home together. Oh, congratulations! Thank you so much. And with it's like a miracle to buy a house. I don't know how anyone anyone does it. It's with the craziest experience. But so, and then this 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 house happens to have a swimming pool in it, which we're like we bought a pool with a little house attached to it. You know, but the pool is like where you like chill out and you talk and you reflect because you can't do anything else in the pool.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You can't be on the phone or you can't do, you know? Yeah.
2: So you kind of have to like having those, you have to make a space in your life where you, you get to like get in the pool, you know, in air quotes where you're just like your, your mind can be like free and open and you can like dream and, you know, think of what, think of, um, let the things come to you as opposed to just try to chase them down so hard. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that, that's, it's, it's good to get in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> I like that metaphor.
0: <laughs> Our very last question. You've been sitting on an imaginary but also magical rocking chair. And oh, yeah. it, it grants you three wishes. So okay. you can wish for anything and everything, but you have to say it out loud for it to come true. These are the rules of the rocking chair. Oh, wow. So what are your three wishes?
2: The three wishes. Oh my God. I hope the coronavirus stops like right away. <laughs> Yeah, please. (sighs) I hope that, um, like, is this? These are just like wishes for the world or for anything, anything for
0: you, for the world, for (laughs) whatever you want.
2: Yeah. So, hope swift end to coronavirus. Getting back to business where people can make money and artists can make money and the organizations can make money, museums can make money. Um, So that's one wish. Another wish is that. I would really like to add a second bathroom to my house. (laughs) Outdoor bathroom. I love those. Cabana bathroom, yeah. Oh, no, but really just, you know, that I my actual real major wish that has to do, like, very selfishly with my own life is that I want to spend time in the northeast of the united states and in this and in the south um maybe not an equal measure but i would like to be able to spend like full summers work remotely but f- spend full summers because i miss my family really terribly I have my family my my mom my dad my brother and his wife and three kids and my my cousins and uncles and aunts are all up in the new jersey long island area and i just miss them so much so i really want to be able to i love my family my family here but I really want to be able to do that part-time lifestyle. And now with this whole coronavirus thing, we're like, we can work from anywhere. I'm like, why can't I just go live somewhere for the summer until the end of October? And it's fine. So that's a big wish. And then another wish is that I truly, deeply, dearly want to curate some kind of biennial, whether it be prospect, whether it be um, something new here that we do, whether it be something with creative time, um, whether it be in Venice, whether it be you know, what, for sculpture Munster, all these things, um, the universe provide that to you. I Bradley. totally see
0: that happen. I I I already see that
2: happen. I don't. I think that that wish is definitely going to happen. When, <laughs> not if. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, like the work we're doing on the High Line, it just yeah. feels like it's aligning us to to think that way. I mean, here in Miami, the High Line has been moving us in kind of that direction. So I'm really excited to see where that project goes. And, you know, we can all move together into a place of, you know, international recognition for that project. It's something I'm really excited about. All the partners are incredible. It's been uh, a slog, but it's been an amazing process. Um, so so those kinds of things and just see- seeing these projects that we've, you know, been working on at the county come into fruition. That's It's not a dream or a wish. I know it's going to happen, but I just can't wait till a yeah. lot uh, of them come into reality wonderful um and yeah yeah and thank you guys so much what a pleasure and what a great platform and everyone should also definitely next sculpture monster make sure you go because that was like hands down the best international art event i've ever been to
0: i heard so many good things about that uh that event uh and i yeah i definitely want to go if we ever travel
1: again that's yeah, a good reason definitely to check travel. out the Miami Dade um, obviously the the cultural website I think yeah miami Dade been doing Public a Art. lot right now mm-hmm.
2: right miamidadepublicart.org and then um calls to artists we're always trying to figure out ways to pay artists you know get people making proposals trying to direct a lot of our calls actually to the to the regional community as opposed to taking it national we're making some of those choices now to do some of that during this time um and um and also fringe projects um, miami.com amazing stuff coming out of that so yes yeah thank Woo-hoo. you for being our
1: 150th and wearing a very sparkly and beautiful outfit that nobody I gets, know, to see. No but no one
2: gets to, to see <laughs> <And we laughs> your image so in the rocking
1: chair we remind you to wear the same one that would be phenomenal yeah exactly we're gonna do that
2: all right guys thank you for your good work
0: Thank, Thank you, you, you and word. thanks so much Thank to our, our listeners. It's yeah. 150. It's such a pleasure that uh, you're still here, we're still here, we're getting through this time, and yeah. we're gonna come out transformed on the other end. That's for sure. Alrighty, yeah.
2: thanks yeah. everyone. Bye. Thank you, guys. Bye, bye. So I. I just wanted to PS because I forgot to mention two things that I'm really, really proud of that were transformative also, which um, during the time I worked at Locust, which was five years, um, we, you know, we worked with the board and with Shauna, an amazing director to almost quadruple the budget and create all kinds of new programs, including Locust Talks, which was, we worked on in early days. Now it's just called Talks, but it was, we brought really great people in Massimiliano Gioni and and, um, Fairfax Dorn. And anyway... Um, what I was, I'm particularly proud of one of the things that Locust was, I was part of the team that brought Locust to its first NEA grant. So I will never forget the excitement and thrilling, thrilling feeling. And then uh, over at the Department of Cultural Affairs for Miami-Dade County, another extremely thrilling moment was bringing in the grant from the Knight Foundation, thank you Knight Foundation, to host the Creative Times Summit in Miami in 2018, which was just an unbelievable experience. It was a full circle experience because when I was an intern, a graduate intern, when I was writing my dissertation at Creative Time in New York, um, that's when I worked on the summit, there, Living as Form, which was just a transformative project to work on, both the exhibition and the summit working with Sally Swed and Nato Thompson and Ann Pasternak. And so working on that summit and then bringing it full circle, bringing it to Miami, Archipelagos and other imaginaries um, was just a wonderful experience. And it was, it was a, a total gift and I can't still can't believe it happened. It was like a mirage, but creative time summit, Miami, check it out. Amazing content there. And also the Instagram for art in public places is, um, art at art in public places mdc is the account so i just wanted to to shout that out on instagram as well so i think that is all for me you've had enough of me but thank you so much and take care bye